0: Welcome to The Overflow, the official podcast of The Block. The Block is a thriving young adult ministry of Celebration Church in New Orleans, full of exciting initiatives, faith filled speakers, a lively community, and most importantly, God's presence. Our aim is that every person seeking fulfillment tunes in and walks away overflowing with knowledge, encouragement, love, and gratitude for the Word of God. We hope that you are both encouraged and challenged by today's conversation. Well, you know, there's three ways. To learn a lesson that I've learned in my life. There's the hard way, which is you basically make mistakes. Uh, you learn through pain and experience. And then there's the easy way where you can learn through wisdom. And the worst way is the third way, which is that you never learn at all. How many know that everybody makes mistakes? Right? Somebody said everybody has bad days, right? You know. Every single person makes mistakes mistakes. There's been no sin that has received more press than the sin that we are going to look at tonight between David and Bathsheba. Up to this point, we've been studying the life of David. Uh, Every week, I remind you, there's more chapters written about David than anyone else in Scripture other than Jesus. He was known as a man after God's own heart. And for these past six weeks or so, we have been essentially looking at his life and learning what to do. Um, how do you, what, how you act in a season, a wilderness season, when you know that God's called you to do something, but there's no opportunity for you? How do you act when you have enemies? How do you act um, in different situations? But tonight, what we're going to see is what not to do. And last week, I alluded to a passage of scripture that we were covering, where we saw a crack in David's Foundation of the integrity of his life. And I remember, if you remember with me last week, we talked about a passage of scripture where I talked about how David had many wives. Um, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 12, it said, David realized that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. He had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. And the very next verse says this, Meanwhile, David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem After he came from Hebron and more sons and daughters were born to David. So you see this uh, dichotomy of this situation of life. God is blessing David. Um, He is in a season of success, if you would. And then the very next verse, you see the weakness in his character, that he's a man who desires multiple, multiple women And it was actually in direct contradiction to God's commands. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14 through 17 says this. When you, And this is God talking to his people. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, and they take in possession of it and settle. And you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite, the king moreover, pay attention, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make people return to Egypt to get more, for the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way. That's number one. Number two, he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. Number three, he must not accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. And what we see is that David, in direct disobedience to what God said to do, he begins to do in his success. Now, here's one of the biggest lies, is that if you could just satisfy your sex drive today, you will be okay. And every need will be met, and you'll be all right for the rest of your life. You know that's a lie, because that is a desire, a God-given desire, that God has given to you to be used in the proper context of marriage, Right? But using that, using that and abusing sex, if you will, outside of marriage and outside of God's covenant, outside of the boundaries that God sets for you, as we've talked in a previous series on dating, there's a lot of damage that could be done. For example, the Bible says in Proverbs 6, 27, 29, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burnt? And so scripture likens sex to a fire. If you take a fire and you hold a fire in certain situations, it's okay. It brings warmth. It brings intimacy. It does what it's supposed to do. But if you scoop fire and literally put it in your lap, it has the potential to obviously harm you, but not just you, harm those around you. Sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed. But outside of his boundaries, there's consequences to that. There was a... Study by the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy that said that 15% of married women and 25% of married men have extramarital affairs. But when they adjusted that to include relationships without intercourse, talking about emotional adultery, that number jumps 20% in each of those categories, So so taming your eyes, if you will, taming your heart, taming those desires is something that every single one of us is going to face in our lives. And if you think that, man, if I can just have sex, if I can just have somebody, a girlfriend who gives me or a boyfriend who gives me what I want, and we just satisfy, you'll never be satisfied because only Jesus can satisfy you. And abusing it outside of the context of marriage, once again, it brings a whole bunch of problems you don't want to have. So here's, here's where we're at tonight. So David, his lust and his polygamy, they begin to secretly erode his integrity. And let me just catch you up from where we're at in David's life. David is at an all-time high. He is fresh off of huge victories in his life. He is at the peak of public admiration. He just got the blue check Next to his name on Twitter and Instagram. Um, He got more money, more power, more authority, more fame. He could have whatever he wanted. He was the king. God had allowed success to come and to visit him. But let me tell you, pride happens when everything is swinging in your direction. When life is good. That's when you need to watch out. When things start going good because that's when you become... Unaccountable. Unaccountable. Now in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God made a covenant with David. We talked about this last week. It's an amazing passage of scripture. It's it's one that so many people know and they go back to it's one of the most amazing covenants that God made with a human being was to David. It talked about God was going to bless him and his family was going to sit on the throne and all of these amazing things. And then th- from chapter 7 to chapter 10 is a highlight reel of David just doing everything right. He's seeking God, victory after victory, justice and grace he's given to the people that God has put him over. And you see this, this, these passages of Scripture, they're passing over huge amounts of time. And so there's so many great things happening. And then all of a sudden in 2 Samuel chapter 11... It stops. And we just sit in a moment that honestly changed David's life and changed the course of history. And I believe tonight, my prayer is that it will change your life as well. And his life slows down. And here we are in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings went off to war, David sent Joab. Out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained in Jerusalem. So here is where tragedy begins. It says, in the spring, and that's important because war typically didn't take place during the winter. It took place during the spring because the, uh, the snow would melt, the roads, you couldn't really travel if it was winter and all these, just the terrain was not ideal for warfare, but in the spring, you know, things are getting better, things are looking nice like it is here in New Orleans right now, and so you go outside, you can do a lot of things, so it's time for war. And it says, at the time when kings went off to war, but something that you see, a theme, is that David sent and David sat. David sent and David sat. David, prior to this moment that we're stopping in, David was active. He was out doing things. He was a part of the battles. He was leading. He was taking charge. But now as we stop on a moment, we see everything's changed in his life. And he's sitting, he's chilling, and he's just sending people to do it. He says David was in bed and he wasn't in battle. It's something that I've realized that our greatest battles don't usually come when we're working hard. They come when we have leisure time and we have time on our hands and when we're bored. David was in the wrong place. And so if I want to encourage you with something tonight, I want to encourage you to be a student of your environment. Be a student of your environment. The Hebrew commentator Robert Alter says the verb to send is quoted 11 times in this chapter because David doesn't move. And he's removed himself from action and has a dangerous amount of time on his hands. How many of you know that's when you get in trouble? When you ain't got nothing to do. It's interesting. I was reading some um, reflections on COVID and during our time in quarantine. And the BBC and Netflix recorded 16 million new subscribers in a three-month span in 2020. In April, Microsoft game servers had 10 million users. A preliminary study in China between October 2019 and March 2020 recorded an increase of 23% in severe internet addiction with a 20-fold rise in dependence degree of those already addicted to the internet. According to research at universities, it was not called a pandemic but a pornemic. Because one of the largest pornography websites reported an increase of over 61%, well above its average of 115 users a day. And regions of the country, and not in America, uh, with the most restrictive stay-at-home orders and lockdowns had the highest spikes of pornography visits. And in addition, one factor above others, was likely that this specific website in 2020 decided to make its access to its website absolutely free. I was just thinking about how the enemy does that. Isn't that interesting? When you have the most leisure time, sin is free. When you're busy, you got to pay for it and go out your way. But when we're locked in our homes, so much time to do anything we want, the enemy opens up doors. And I'm sure that many of us answered the knock that was at that door during the pandemic, along with other knocks that the enemy has when we have nothing to do. This should be a chapter about another one of David's victories. At the time when David went off to war, God showed himself victorious, but that's not what it said. Everything changed in David's life because David was at the wrong place. Wow. He was at the wrong place. i never forget, at a Bible study... Um, Many years ago, there was a young guy who gave his life to the Lord. It was exciting. Um, he had come from a family that was super dysfunctional. And, man, over months and months and months, I saw God move in his life. And then I remember I was bringing him home one day, and he said, hey, you know, I just want to let you know I'm not going to be there next week. I said, why not? And he said, yeah, I just, you know, I, I have to go do this thing. And I said, man, I said, I just want to encourage you as a friend, don't go to that thing. Like you should, I really want you to come to be be with us next week at Bible study. Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'm going to go to this thing and I'll see you the following week. I never saw him again. The enemy just needs one week. All he wants to do is pull you away for one week. All he needs to do is to make you say, oh, you know, I'll just listen to the podcast. I don't need to drive and show up and sit in the seat. I don't, need to, I don't need to take time out of my day. I've got homework. I've got work. Let me tell you, my friends tonight, I just want to applaud you. This is the best place you could be tonight. Amen. So look at your neighbor and say, good job. Good, job. Good, job. good job. Can I tell you my concern tonight is the people who are not here tonight. My concern is the opportunities that will be given to you over the next several weeks and months. To say your environment doesn't need to be this on Sunday night. Or your environment doesn't, doesn't need to be in life group during the week. You have other things that you need to do. What David did was ne- David neglected productive activity. And let me just tell you just something. That sin starts small. Yeah. A lot of us think that you're going to be able to see tragedy coming from a mile away. But scripture paints a different picture of sin. It starts small, as James says, and it grows to the point of death to where it takes over your life. It starts small. All the enemy needs in your life is one seed. He needs one window. He needs one door. Sun Tzu in the art of war, he said this. He said, do not linger in dangerously isolated positions. Lest your enemy overtake you. Mm. In the art of war, and you you and I, we're in a battle. There's an enemy who's circling you 24-7 and saying, okay, when are you going to have leisure time? Because that's when I'm going to come in and I'm going to offer you something. And if you don't find something productive to do, the enemy is more than happy to give you something destructive to do. Wow. And it says here in another version of scripture, David was sitting in Jerusalem. And it's interesting how that those words just kept coming up in this passage of scripture that he prior he's overtaken, he's moving, he's doing things, he's serving, he's going, whatever. Now he's sitting. He just said, you know what? God has been so good to me. And I've got all these followers. And you know what? I've grown in my walk with the Lord so much. And God has given me a relationship. And he's blessed me with this job. I'm just going to chill. And I'm going to sit at home and relax. And here we go. One evening. One evening. It's all the devil needs is an evening. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Now, there was a siesta that they would take because during the day it's super hot and so you know you'd sleep Uh, they still do this in latin american countries and so the king um you know he's been sleeping but he's been in bed for an extraordinary amount of time (laughs) um he shouldn't have been taking a siesta he should have been doing other things but he was in bed for a long time and he's making bad use of his time and i want to ask you in your days right now what are you doing with your time What are you doing with your time? Because laziness leads to lust. James Clear wrote this book called Atomic Habits, and he talks about how you can change your habits, how to become the person that you want to be. And he talks about how starting, how small, doing small things and making small changes in your life leads to bigger results. And he talks about how it's what's around you and in front of your face that will get the most attention. This is why... And I went to school for it. I went to school for marketing. This is why companies, Fortune 500 companies, spend millions and billions of dollars on research because all they wanna know is where to put their product in your eyesight in the grocery store. There's millions of dollars of difference between a foot of shelf space because they know if you could just see it in front of your face, You're more apt to buy it. All that stuff at the register that you're going by and you're waiting and you're ringing, they're ringing up your food. That's a strategic plan, just so you know. Especially the stuff on the other, if you're like, no, the enemy's behind me, I'm not gonna look, and you look up and there's another rack of candy in front of you. (laughs) Have you noticed that? Right? And you reach for something, it's whatever's in front of you is gonna get your attention. So not only though, here's the thing, not only did David take a second look he was staring for an undetermined period of time here. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. So he's curious. And here's where you start getting in trouble. Someone once told me this the first look is always free, you're going to pay for the second one. Because you see something and you should turn, but when you look a second time, now you're curious. And curiosity killed the cat. I just made that up. Anyway, David was curious. And as he got curious, he started to look, and he started to linger, and the enemy likes to distort it, what God has given. He likes to distort the perspective. He likes to distort it. So David, is, he's up on a palace, and he's literally looking down around him. And he can look into people's windows, and he can look into people's roofs and things like that. And there's so much commentary about Bathsheba. There's so much commentary on, did she know the king was looking, and did she go out at the right time, and did she take, and there's so many things you can look. But here's what I want to know. The focus of this passage of scripture, it's not Bathsheba. It's David. We can talk about Bathsheba, but it's David. The narrator continues to go back to David's life, and he goes, the man said, and here's, here's what's incredible. David goes, and he says, go find out about her. This guy shows up, and he goes, The man said, she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Now, this is significant, in my opinion, because the servant of the king offered a subtle warning of wisdom to him. He didn't say that's Bathsheba. He didn't say that. He said, her, she's the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah, your friend. That's who she is. Just want to let you know. In the most respectful way possible, there was some form of a warning given to David. This is, is significant because you typically, like I said, you introduce a woman by her name, but here you, he introduced her by her father and then her husband because David had direct relationships with both of them. Uriah was actually one of David's 30 mighty men. And so what I want you to see here is that there is accountability in David's life. And you have accountability, I would hope, in your life. But it doesn't matter if you have accountability if you don't use it. Amen. I cannot tell you. I've been doing this for 10 years. I have stories. I cannot tell you how aggravated it is to sit down and have a conversation and to think somebody is really wanting me to give some sort of wisdom where they just want the facade of a meeting. I met with the pastor. Yeah, but you didn't do what I said. Yeah, but I met with somebody. I went to this conference. I read the, I read. Yeah, but you didn't listen. So you can have an appearance tonight that you've got accountability. And you've got your bros and you've got your girls and y'all are in your life group. But if you're not using your accountability, then the worst sort of deception is self-deception. I'm just going to tell you that. And the enemy wants you to think you're doing all things right because you've positioned yourself. But if the warnings are coming at you and you're ignoring them, you're in a very dangerous place. Verse 4 says, And David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself for her monthly uncleanliness, and she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Now, see how fast that these actions took place, right? Now, you can control inputs, but you can't control outputs. Little decisions lead to big consequences. Emily Dickens wrote this poem. Crumbling is not an instance act, a fundamental pause Dilapidation's processes are organized, decays. Tis first a cobweb on the soul, a cuticle of dust, a border in the axis, an elemental rust. Ruin is formal, devil's work. Consecutive and slow, fail in an instant no man did, slipping is crash's law. It says she was purifying herself, which means that she was at the peak of ovulation. And I think that it's important because the the writer put a timestamp here to let know when this took place. To show that Uriah was away and Uriah is not the father of this child. Because they get to a situation, she said she's pregnant, but David could have said, oh no, 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 like you're the father, you came home, you slept, but here's the deal. There's a time stamp. There's no way anyone else could be the father except for David. She said, I'm pregnant. Okay, so I'm pregnant. So here's the deal. You make a mistake. You make a mistake. I make mistakes. We make, everyone makes mistakes. David's made a mistake. Now, what do you do? You have a choice to make. What do you do? Do you own your mistake? Say, I did this. Shame on me. Or do you lie and switch ministries? Sorry, too close to home. Or get new friends, or go somewhere else, or I don't know. I've seen it all and I've done it all. That's why I can say that. He has a choice to make I've sinned, or choose to lie and deceive. Let's see what he does. So David sent word to Joab send me Uriah the Hittite. Remember, Bathsheba's husband, away, fighting. Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. This dude, bro. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So here's David's plan. David had, he had cared less how the world was going. I mean, David is the king. He's, he is the number one army and all, like he he knows how it's going. He's just basically like trying to get on his good side here, right? And he says, go and wash your feet, which is implicit. This is go have sex with your wife. That's what it meant in these days. Go home, enjoy your wife. Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after them. So what did he send? He sent, commentators think, food and wine because shower, supper, sex, right? What's better than getting a bath, eating some food and having sex? You should not know about that. So don't raise your hand. I not want, no, 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 no. I'm just telling you, as a married man, that's where it's at, <laughs> I mean, a lot of you. So he sends a catering dinner to Uriah. Uber eats. You do whatever you want. Here's a gift card. Get whatever you want. And he's hoping. He's praying. I hope Uriah goes home and sleeps with his wife. Because here's the deal. Now we can say it's Uriah's child. He's trying to control the outcome. But Uriah, verse 9, slept at the entrance of the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. So here's the twist. Uriah is not playing the game. He didn't sleep at his house. He didn't go sleep with Bathsheba. He slept at the door of the king's house. How annoying is that for David? Now, here's what's important is that Uriah was honoring God's code and the the ethics of the day. When you're in a battle, you you abstain from certain things. And one of those things was sexual intimacy. And so Uriah is a man of God who's sleeping at the king's court. He's saying, I'm not going to do that. He says, um, I'm, I'm not going to go sleep with my wife. I'm going to honor the Lord. And so David said, Uriah, David was told, Uriah and go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from your campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. My commander Joab, the Lord's men, are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house and eat, drink, and make love to my wife? As surely as I live, I would not do such a thing. Another decision for David. You confess? Uriah's not biting. She's going to show that she's pregnant. What do you do in the situation? He didn't go home. David said to him, stay here one more day tomorrow. I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate, drank, and David made him drunk. Here's another one. <laughs> David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat again amongst his master servants. He didn't go home. Here's another chance for David to cover. Sh- I mean, he's thinking here. Like, how do I get this dude to sleep with his wife? <laughs> like Uber Eats, like you get what you want. You're going you're to go and hang out. You're not going to do that? Fine, I'm going to get you drunk. I'm going to get you so drunk that I'm going to send you home. Uh, it's obvious you're going to want to sleep with your wife, right? And it says, in the morning, David wrote a letter, but, but in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat. And here's the thing, when sin is compounding it, when sin is concealed, it compounds. Like a snowball that's growing on a hill, it gets bigger. And David ups the ante even more. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. And he wrote, put Uriah in the front where the fighting is fierce. Then withdraw from him so he'll be struck down and die. So while Joab was in the city under siege, he put Uriah at the place where he knew was the strongest defenders. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Can I tell you that your sin is not just you? Your sin impacts other people as well. You thought when we started reading this passage, I'm like, oh, David slept with Bathsheba. <sighs> well, now David killed a guy. Now David's sin is not that he was lonely and he slept with somebody. No, no. Now he's, he's literally killed somebody. It's bloodshed. Consequences compound. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He instructed the messenger, when you finish giving the king this account um, of the battle, the king's anger may flare up. And he may ask, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerubbashim? Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asks you this, then say to him, Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger set out. When he arrived, he told David everything that Joab had sent him to say. Then the messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open. We drove back to the entrance of the city, but the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, Say to Joab, Don't let this upset you. And then he quotes a soldier's cliche. The sword devours one as well as the other. Every bullet has its bullet. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband had died, Bathsheba, she mourned him. After the time of the mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and he became his wife. She became his wife and bore him a son. So David thinks that he has covered his tracks. Kings make the rules. Rules don't make the king. And through the whole chapter, David is seen nowhere but his house. Sending, sending, sitting, sleeping, all of these things. And David is finally at a place where he's like, oh, no one knows what I've done. I've covered my tracks completely. I've murdered someone, the only person who would know and call me out. I've married this woman. So now when she's pregnant, they'll, know, they'll say, oh, well, he married her. He's done a great thing in taking his, his brother, his, his confidant's his wife. What a godly man he is. And then the last verse says, but the thing that David did displeased the Lord. Dark chapter comes to an end. Or does it? Not really. You would think that David, having covered his tracks at this moment, he would feel a relief that, oh, I'm good. I can just go on with my life. I've made a mistake. I've sinned, but I've covered it up, all these things. And here's the thing about Psalms. Psalms is a diary of David. Mm -hmm. So you get to find out what David was feeling in this season. And it says this, David is trapped in a swirl of misery that he describes in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. The swirl of misery that David is in is sleepless nights, physical illness, a fever, haunted memories, loss of weight. He is in total misery. The Living Bible quotes David, Psalm 32, after Uriah is dead, there was a time that I would admit that I was a sinner, but I was. But my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. All day long and all night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day until finally I admitted my sins and you stopped trying to hide them. You may think you have covered your tracks, but your sin has followed you. It's in your heart. And some of you tonight, you've jumped ministries. You've jumped churches. You've jumped situations and circumstances. You have covered your track. You've deleted accounts. You've made different accounts. You've you've made us think that you are one person. Things are going well, but your sin is still on you. And you know, you feel this. Whether or not we believe you are who you say you are and you're manipulating the situation and circumstances at the end of the day, you know who you are and you know what you've done. You can't run from God. And David is here as an example saying you can sin, you can cover your tracks, but it's still inside of you. So here's what happens. Second Samuel chapter 12 God sends a friend who is willing to look the king eye to eye and call a spade a spade. I love this. It says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. And here's what I love about God. God's timing is perfect. It says, the Lord sent. Nathan could have gone to David at any time, but God sent him in the perfect time. It It was believed that 12 months had passed since Uriah died, and now Nathan is coming in. So what has happened in this 12 months is David is miserable. He knows what he's done. His sin is eating away at him. And then God sends a messenger, a friend, at the 12-month mark when David is at his lowest of lows. And when he came to him, he tells him a story. Let me just stop and say this. Man, you've got to have people in your life who tell you the truth. You've got to. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. And some of you, you're so afraid of being wounded in the right way, because you've been wounded in the wrong way. And Satan wants to manipulate all the bad things that people did in this, so that you don't let anyone into your life. And because you don't let anyone into your life, you're just wallowing in that sin over and over. until so you need to understand that God has put you in a place, literally this room tonight, with people your age, life groups, relationships around you, who say, man, I want to do life with you. Who can look you in the eye... And say, dude, stop doing that. What you just did to her, what you just did to him, is a sin against God's son or daughter. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses. Some of y'all like to be kissed too much. You're making out, figuratively. Figuratively. You only want people around you who adore you, who tell you what you want to hear. They never call you out on your mess. Maybe because you hide your mess, and that's one thing in of itself. But when people know your life and they don't call it out and they don't say anything to you, woe is you. Woe is you. So Nathan shows up and he tells him a parable. He says, hey, David, I need to tell you a story. There were two men from a certain town, one rich, one poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except a little ewe lamb he had bought. And in the Hebrew, it's interesting because it's Sheba. So it's like Bathsheba, right? He raised it and he grew it with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup and even slept in his arm. Look at the intimacy this man has with this sheep. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from talking uh, I'm sorry, from taking one of his own sheep or cattle, prepare for a meal for the traveller who come to him. Instead he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, prepared it for the one who had come to him. Eat, drink, lie. These are the things that David tried to do with Uriah the Hittite and with his wife. Verse five. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Let me just tell you, words are powerful. The very thing that David said should happen, happened to him. Because according to biblical law, someone who has illegally taken someone's profit will be subject to a four-fold restitution, not the death penalty. And as David's life goes on, and we'll see... He paid four major ways. Four deaths took place in his family. An unnamed son, Tamar, his daughter, Amnon, and Absalom. His own family was taken from him. Why would the sins of the father reproduce in the children? So here's the thing. You got to fight sin while it's small. Because it's going to cost you a lot later. God wants you to say... This sin is small. If you don't like the outcomes, then beware of the inputs. Then David said to Nathan, you are the man. I imagine David just sitting there and those words come out. David, vengeance, mercy, justice. So wrong. And Nathan looks at him in the eyes and says, bro, that's you. That's you. You did that. I imagine David's jaw just thinking, I thought nobody knew and realizing God knew. He says, he goes on and and Nathan says, this is what the Lord God says. I anointed you king and I I delivered you. I gave you your master's house, his master's wives' arms. I gave you Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have even given you more why did you despise the word of the Lord doing what is evil in his eyes? So God is positioning health and siding with Bathsheba and he's siding with Uriah. He said, you struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And so David, God is taking away David's excuses. He's not saying, oh no, bro, like you were at home and you were like, had no one to sleep with and, and, and like, you know, oh, I understand. No, 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 no. You're the guy. You did this thing. It's on your hands. You're the one who's at fault here. He said, you did this. Then he issues a verdict. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despise me. You took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. God gave him a house and now the sword is swinging his way. It says in verse 11, this is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity before your very eyes i'm going to take the wives and i'm going to give them to one who's close to you and he'll sleep with the wives in the broad daylight you did it in secret but i'm going to do it in front of all of israel can i tell you what's done in darkness will be brought to light okay. then david said to nathan no bro no please no for no 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 they like you don't get it man i didn't really mean to no excuses no excuses He said, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. I want you to understand the response here of being called out in your sin and responding and saying, yeah, that's me. And stop making excuses and blaming other people and making it seem like it's not a big deal. It is what it is. David said, I did it. You're absolutely right. I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, your sin is taken. The Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. And some people, you don't like hearing that tonight. Is this injustice? He's committed adultery. He's literally, there's bloodshed on his hand. He says to God, He says, You're right, I've sinned. And God says, The the Lord has taken away your sin. And that mercy, that grace makes you so mad. Some of you are bothered by that type of mercy until you need that mercy. Come on. Come on. You hate it when God forgives people who are so screwed up. Oh, but when you screw up, when you're screwed up, you need the mercy. There's no excuses. Naked admission. David doesn't do any complaining. He accepts what's coming. And I love it. It says the Lord has taken away. And that word in Greek, it literally means to transfer. His sin is transferred to Jesus. Yeah. That, let me tell you something tonight. Justice is coming to every one of us. It'll either happen on the cross or it'll happen in hell. So, you and I get to choose tonight. Do you want to say, I am that man? I am that woman. And hear God say, I've taken your sin and I'm putting it on the cross. Or you can continue to deny and deny and deny and cover up the bloodshed on your hands. And justice, you will meet justice face to face. We will all stand before the Lord. But I want you to see that David didn't conceal his. When he was confronted, he didn't conceal it. It ate away at him and it destroyed his life. But when he was confronted, He owned his sin and he said, that's me, I am the man. But because you're doing the things and you have shown utter contempt from the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child of Uriah's wife that had been born to David and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted, spent nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get up to him from the ground, but he refused. He would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How could we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed his attendants were whispering among themselves and he realized the child was dead. Is he dead? He asked, yes, he's dead. David got up from the ground after he was washed. He put on lotions, changed his clothes, went to the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house and at the request of it was served food and he ate. His attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now the child's dead, you got up and you ate. He answered, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept because I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live, but now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back? No, I'll go to him but he will not return to me. And then verse 24, as the band comes, and David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. Solomon means peace. And I love this because a lot of people just end with David's sin and that he confessed his sin and and that's the end of it, but that's that's not the end of it. God gave David something after his sin. He gave him peace. Can there be peace after your sin? Absolutely. And it goes on to say that the Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah, which means cherished by Yahweh, or God's friend, loved and beloved. And as I close out this passage tonight and just this teaching, it's a warning. It's a warning, but it's also an understanding that you and I are not doomed tonight. I want you to know one thing tonight, and that's failure isn't final. Some of you, you've changed your face, you've changed your name, you've changed so many things. To try to run away from situations where you've been wronged and you've done wrong. And you can can do that if you want. But deep down, you know what's up. You can't run from what you've done. And I want to let you know tonight that you can walk out of here with a new name. That you can walk out of here with peace. That you can walk out of here knowing that you're God's beloved that you're God's friend. The Bible says that he takes our sins as far as the east from the west. Paul says, one thing I do, I forget what's behind, but I strain for what's ahead. When when David confessed his sin and I said that the Lord forgave him, it doesn't mean that David didn't have consequences. There are consequences to our actions, but God is offering forgiveness And he's offering mercy. And the enemy, he wants you to live in your mistake. He wants you to think, "I mean, I can never do anything here. God can never do anything with my life because I've, I've screwed up so bad. I've slept with too many people." I've had an abortion. I've done so many things. And God is saying, you're right where I wanted you tonight. There is peace here for you. There's mercy for you tonight. You don't have to be Psalm, that Psalm that David can't sleep and he's just wallowing. That could be your whole life unless you sit here and you say, I am that man. I am that woman. I did those things. I'm confessing. I'm confessing. I am that person. Take my sin as far as the east is from the west. I'll never forget when first month I was here as a a young adult pastor. I was in the hallway over here. And our ministry was growing. And this girl comes up to me. And she says, hey, Pastor Stephen, I'm so-and-so. I said, nice to meet you. She said, hey. She goes, I really... I really want to help. And I've been praying that God would send forth workers, that God would send people to help. So when she said that, I said, that's amazing. She said, I said, that's an answer prayer. And she looked, she looked me in the face. She goes, are you serious? I said, what are you talking about? She goes, you're going to let me serve. You're going to let me lead. I said, yeah, why not? She goes, oh, oh, you haven't heard about me. And I said, I don't need to hear about you. This is your place. And if you want to rise up, I'm going to help rise you up. I tell you that story because a lot of us are just like her. You don't want to do anything. You don't want to volunteer. You don't want to lead. You don't want to use your talents and abilities. You don't want God to do anything because you think somebody's going to say, I know you. I know what you've done. But here's what the Bible says. He literally takes your sins as far as the east from the west. And when you confess your sins and you say, God, do you remember that sin? He goes, what sin? I have no idea what you're talking about. Because you confessed it. And I removed it. And I'm bringing peace into your life. Now, the world wants to remind you of what you did and who you are, and they want to label you, but if you want God to label you, that's on you tonight. You've got to make that decision tonight. But failure is not final. If you were encouraged by today's talk, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. You can keep up with us by following our Instagram by searching at The Block NOLA. Again, thanks for listening to The Block Podcast.